Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. We'll turn our attention to God's Word. Um, we'll be hearing God's Word this morning from Genesis uh, chapter 22, if I can find it, from Genesis chapter 22. And this, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've been following, uh, you know, for for really several months now, in a sense, we've just been following the life of Abraham, because Genesis has a lot to say about Abraham. And as the kids, as the kids were commenting this morning, Abraham is a, he's a mixed, he's a mixed sort of guy. Uh, somebody said, if you, if you think Abraham's all good, you have not been paying attention. Um, because Abraham is not all good. He has been up and down. He has been the recipient of God's promises, of God has made covenant with him. God has been committed to him. And yet Abraham has failed many times. And so we have this kind of up and down with Abraham. And who is this guy? Today in Genesis chapter 22, in many ways, is the high point of the Abraham story. This is really the final big story of the question of Abraham and his faith and his obedience to God. From here, it'll, it'll start to transition to his son Isaac in the next chapter. His wife Sarah dies and he buries her. And in the next chapter after that, he finds a wife for his son Isaac. And then we go on to the story of Isaac as Abraham himself dies. So this is, this is the high point. And so in this, and I want you to keep that in mind as we read and as you wonder what's going on here, because this is simultaneously a very well-known story when God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And it's also a very challenging story to say what in the world is going on? Why would God do such a thing? Why would Abraham go along with such a thing? How, how, how does this all work out? But keep this in the context of all of Abraham's life to this point. And God's promised him and his mixed record of obedience before God. So let me read now from Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord came, called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tabash, and Makkah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word when it challenges us. We thank you for your word when it encourages us. We thank you for your word when it gives us hope, when it shows us your love. So we pray now that as we reflect together on your word, you would take this word and sink it deep into our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, nobody has said this, but some of you who pay attention to such things may be thinking that I have not had a mystery bag up here in, in quite a while. We may be missing out. And I don't have a mystery bag today, but I do have something in my pocket. And in my pocket, it fits in my pocket, and I have a whistle. Now, why, why would I have a whistle in my pocket? Do you think I should blow the whistle? Yes? Ooh, whistles, that's fun. We like whistles. Now, what, who, who blows whistles? Coaches, coaches blow whistles. In my family, we've been thinking, we've been, we've been doing a lot of coaching lately. So lots of coaching, lots of sports, lots of whistles. Now, but when you think of coaches and whistles, when a coach, I had, I had to tell a player on my basketball team uh, last week, he was, he, we kept yelling things to him on the court, do this, do this, do this, and he kept yelling back like trying to explain what he had been doing. I had to tell him, man, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to say anything back to us. Like this is just, this is what coaches do, right? Coaches yell a lot and coaches blow their whistles and coaches push you beyond what you think is possible. Coaches will ask you to do things that you did not think you could do and that you did not know you could do until your coach says, run, run faster. Keep running, even when you're tired, whether you're talking about the coach of a sports team, whether you're talking about a personal trainer, coaches and their whistles make us find out things about ourselves that we didn't know, that we didn't know we could run that fast, that we didn't know that we could play that hard. So when we look at Genesis chapter 22 and we say, what is going on? Why in the world would God do this? Because if we just say, if we just look at the, the story as a whole, like, oh, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son, we say, how cruel. How could God do such a thing? 
And even if we, if we step back in, in cultural time and we say, well, child sacrifice wasn't quite as strange to Abraham as it is to us, we still say he's asking him to sacrifice the son of promise, the son through, him is, through whom his descendants will be reckoned. How cruel, how awful. But when we look at the text, the first thing it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, why did God test Abraham? Does God know? Does God not know what Abraham is going to do? No, that's crazy. God did not test Abraham to find out what he was going to do. God knows. God knows everything about Abraham. He knows it from beginning to end. God tested Abraham for Abraham to know what he was going to do, for Abraham to be able to walk in faith, because God with his whistle, with his coach, but not in, these, not in the sports arena, not just running, but in life, in the area of obedience, in the area of obedience and faith beyond what you think is possible. God says, Abraham, you can have faith. You can have obedience. Abraham, you have been up and down. You have sometimes walked in faith. You have sometimes walked in fear. You have sometimes walked in passivity. But here at the high point of Abraham's life, God says, Abraham, I'm going to ask you to do something that seems utterly absurd. And you're going to do it. And you're going to know that you have faith in me. And you're going to know for all the rest of history, all the people following after you, all of your family will know that you had this faith and that they can walk in this faith, faith as well. See, we see here in Genesis chapter 22 that the great truth about God is that whatever the circumstances, whatever we feel things are happening at the moment, God is grace from beginning to end. From the very beginning of chapter 22, when God tested Abraham, that is grace for Abraham. That Abraham may respond in faith. Respond with faith that he did not know that he had. To the, the middle of, Abraham, of Genesis chapter 22, when, when God provides the ram, the, the point of this story, as is told in the text, is that the Lord will provide. That is God's grace. The Lord will provide to the end of the story when God reaffirms his covenant promises to Abraham and says, once again, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand, as the seashore. This is not because Abraham earned it. This was God's promise from the beginning. This is God's reaffirmation. You will walk in the blessings that I have given you, the blessings that I have promised, because God is grace from beginning to end. So when we see this grace, when we see that this testing of Abraham is grace, that Abraham's faith may be known, Abraham's faith may be displayed, that God's blessings for obedience may be reaffirmed, that Abraham's descendants may multiply and spread throughout the earth as blessing to the whole world. How do we respond to that? What, what is the call to us here? The call to us here is to trust and to specifically trust that God's ways are above our ways. That God's ways are beyond our understanding, but that we can trust his ways more than our own. And that is so hard for us, to trust his ways more than our own, more than our own thinking, more than our own ideas, more than what other people say to us, to trust God's ways above all. Now, the good thing for us is that we, we do not have, you know, if, if somebody told us to do something shocking 
If, if, we thought, if, we, if somebody said to me, God told me to do this, I'd say, yeah, you're not Abraham, right? You don't have that kind of relationship with God where you can just know for sure this is what God is telling you to do. But we do have God's word. Even as we heard Terry speaking of early of the power of God's word, the commitment of the Gideons to spread this word throughout the world and put it in everyone's hands. Why? Because this is God's word. And so when we look at God's word, we will find plenty of things that we say, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. I might have a better idea. And the call of Abraham, the call of God for us this morning is to trust his ways above our own. So to see that briefly in three specific ways, we need to trust his character over our own. We need to trust his commands over our own. We need to trust his covenant over our own. There's different owns there. So we trust his character over our own character. Fundamentally, the question before Abraham in Genesis 22 is, do you trust the goodness of God? When God says, go and do this thing that seems shocking, go and do this thing that would seem to reverse the promises, go and do this thing that will bring heartbreak to you and to Sarah, does he trust God's character? And in Abraham's response, we see that he does. He does not question, how can he go through this story? How can he go, through, what, what did he say? What hints do we see about how he can trust in God's character? He didn't say he was gonna go sacrifice Isaac. He just, he obeyed, he walked before him. But what did he say when Isaac asked, understandably like, okay, we've got fire, we've got wood. What are we sacrificing, dad? And what did Abraham say? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Did Abraham understand how that was going to happen? No. But he walked. He walked trusting that God would provide. We see an even more significant hint to how Abraham understood God's character uh, later on in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11, gives us a very helpful commentary on this passage where the author of, Abra of Hebrews says, that Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac because he reasoned that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. He trusted God's character. He didn't know how it was all going to work out, but he had seen enough of God's character. He had seen God's grace, God's blessings to him, all that he experienced, even in his days of disobedience, that God had continued to bless him. God had continued to show grace to him, and so he trusted his character. And so too, when we go through life, when we face the questions of, am I going to be obedient to God or not? Am I going to walk in faith before God? Am I going to do the hard thing that he calls me to do? Whether that hard thing is giving of our time, giving of our money, offering forgiveness to one who has hurt us, offering a word of challenge to one who needs it, keeping ourselves quiet when we feel hurt, Whatever that area of faith may be for us, we can walk in that faith if we trust his character. How do we embrace that character? We need to fall in love with Jesus. We can fall in love with Jesus over and over again by looking in his word. As we read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life to see the character of Jesus. As we pray and we interact with God in prayer, as we come before him in worship, 
as we sing the songs that we sing, exalting the character and goodness of God. These things help us to know that God's character is greater than ours. And so when we say are faced with a difficult choice, a difficult call to faith, whose character are we trusting in? Are we trusting in God's character, the character of Jesus revealed in the Bible? Or are we going to choose our own character and say, I think I have this together. I think I can figure this out for myself. No, we trust God's character over our own. We put our faith and trust in Jesus and who he is. And once we trust his character, once we trust God's love and grace that is unshakable, then we can trust his commands. The command here seemed impossible. How could God command such a thing? Thankfully, there is nothing in the Bible that we are commanded to do that seems as crazy as this. So we don't have, we don't have the same test of Abraham, and yet we are still tested to trust his commands. Because while there is nothing in the Bible that seems like this to us, there are plenty of things that we don't understand. There are plenty of commands about how we use our money about being generous with our time, about how we use the gifts that God has given us, how we interact with other people, how we can forgive our enemies. In the face of our, in, in the face of our own desires, our own hearts that just want all that we want for ourselves, to trust that God's commands to step back, to limit ourselves, to use his good gifts in his way to resist what our culture says to us, that our culture that says, do what you want, do what you feel is good. How could it be wrong? If it feels like this, if it feels this good, how could it be wrong? God says no sometimes. God says what feels good to you is not good for you. It doesn't make sense. And yet we trust in his commands. We trust his commands over our own ideas. Which one do we want to go with? Ultimately, at the end of the day, do we want to put our faith in our own judgments of right and wrong? That's what philosophers have been trying to figure out for thousands of years, and they keep changing their mind. They keep coming up with new ideas. Or do we put our trust in God's unshakable word and his commands? It's hard. It's hard to let go of our own ideas, but when we realize that really we're putting ourselves on solid ground by trusting his commands, it becomes a whole lot easier. So we trust his character, we trust his commands, and finally, we trust his covenant. What was at question when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? It was the very covenant promises that he had made, that through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. God had promised that Isaac would be born and that Isaac would be the line through which Abraham would have numerous descendants. And now God is saying, sacrifice him. But if God is the giver of the promise, God is the keeper of the promise. And so if God commands something that seems to go against the promise, it must not. And so Abraham trusted that that covenant promise was better than what Abraham thought, whatever idea Abraham could come up with himself. And at the end, God reaffirms this covenant promise in verses 17 and 18. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. He had said that before. And in your offspring, verse 18, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. He had said that before. 
He is reaffirming His covenant promises. He makes them better too. Because in the middle of those two, He had something new that He hadn't said before. It's easy to glance over it, but it's new. The end of verse 17, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. He will be successful. He will, he will conquest. He will own, he will control land. But your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. There's even more significance here than Abraham realized at the time. For at that time, Abraham stood trusting in God's promises on Mount Moriah. That's what it said back in, in verse 20, in chapter verse 2, go to the land of Moriah. He stood there on Mount Moriah. That mountain, Mount Moriah, stood in where would later be known as Jerusalem. This was later, it tells us in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, that Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah. Where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac is where Solomon would later build the temple. God's presence on earth. And then we know later on that in, the, in that place of Jerusalem is where Jesus would go, where Jesus would come. And what happens when Jesus goes up the mountain? When Jesus goes up the mountain, he walks into the gate of his enemy. For he walks into the face of death, the gate of his enemy, Satan. He walks right through that gate and he possesses it the singular offspring of Abraham, Jesus, the keeper of all covenants, the fulfillment of God's promise, the answer to how could God make things happen? How will the Lord provide in ways that seem impossible? How will the sun rise again from the dead? Jesus walks through the gate of Satan. This is what we celebrate at Easter. This is what we remember at Good Friday, that Jesus walked through the gate of his enemy and took possession of it as he sacrificed himself in a move that seemed impossible. How could it work that the sacrifice of one man would be salvation for the world? Only through the power of God. And so Jesus walks through the gate. He subjects himself to death that our sins may be forgiven, that he takes on that sacrifice. He becomes that sacrificial lamb for us that God provides. He walks through the gate he possesses it and he declares victory over Satan forever. That the gates of death are turned around to become the doorway to life for us. And that is where God's covenant promises are fulfilled in a way that we could never imagine. And so this morning, let us cling to that covenant promise. Let us cling to the promise of God for us that just as the Lord provided for Abraham and he provided the ram on the mountain, he provided Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins, showing us that we can trust his character. We can walk in faith and obedience to his commands. We can cling to his covenant promises for us. That when our faith is tested, when he puts us through times of testing and trials, and the New Testament authors tell us they will still come for us, tell us the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And we will know that we can have faith beyond what we could ever imagine because Jesus has given us that faith to put in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that your character and your commands and your covenant are always good. We pray that in each of the ways this plays out in our lives, 
each of the places where we face the test of faith, the test of obedience, that you would help us to trust in you and trust in your ways above our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.